0: Why are some thinkers saying the pandemic didn't happen in spite of observations to the contrary? Why have the vast majority of health practitioners been as compliant with the restrictions, lockdowns, and advocating the COVID vaccine as the politicians? Was the plan by the billionaire powers that be to vaccinate the entire globe and enforce digital IDs offset? over the last year by the Freedom Convoy and more and more people refusing to comply. What can humanity in Canada and around the globe do to end the threat of lockdowns and vaccine coercion in the not-too-distant future? On this episode of the Global Research News Hour, we are going to talk to Professor Michel Chosodovsky about his latest book, The Worldwide Corona Crisis, Global Coup d'État Against Humanity in which he outlines the fear campaign around V the Virus, claims that lies are disguised as truths about the disease or diseases, and talks about how humanity itself is the intended target of the COVID enterprise. We'll follow the interview with a short review of the book overall. On this week's program, the worldwide corona crisis, global coup d'etat against humanity, a conversation with Professor Michel Chosodovsky. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of December 9th, 2022. The program is funded by the Centre for Research on Globalisation and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today, from thinkers, researchers and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We would like to acknowledge that this program is produced on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Metis Nation and the heart of the Metis Nation homeland. The theft of their land in defiance of Treaty One and with no regard for their welfare. Is a crime that we should be trying to correct and address our wrong in our discussions with them. Hopefully, all of the injustices witnessed on this broadcast will likewise be addressed and corrected. First, we're going to listen to News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Doctors Peter McCullough, Merrill Nass, and Michelle Perrot were critical of Pfizer and BioNTech's bid to receive EUA for the bivalent booster for young children. Nass told the Defender, quote, There was never anything to recommend the bivalent boosters, before they were given an EUA for adults on August 31st. It is unconscionable, given what we know about the poor performance of the existing vaccines and their very concerning side effects, that FDA, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and CDC went along with the new boosters without a single human trial and now the manufacturers want to give these untested vaccines to children as young as six months of age, unquote. Without human trials for the boosters, said Nass, an internist with special interests in vaccine-induced illnesses, it was, quote, guaranteed that no one would know what their safety issues were, making the whole process of informed consent, which is legally needed, for unlicensed vaccines a charade. That comes from the article Obsolete Misguided. Critics call out Pfizer's plan for bivalent boosters for kids under five by Michael Nevradakis, posted December eighth, originally published on Children's Health Defense. It is without question an absolute tragedy as Russian President Putin's decision should not be seen as anything other than both immoral and illegal. It was immoral because Russia did not face an immediate threat. It was illegal as it violated another country's borders and the UN Charter. But, in Western governmental perspectives and with Western mainstream media in tow, the discussion abruptly ends there, and conveniently ignores two additional tragedies, one pre-war and one in the spring. With the current need for launching real diplomacy facing all parties, these additional tragedies may suggest trouble without an about-face from the West. That comes from the article Ukraine. Three tragedies, Putin 1, Biden 2, by Don L. Duravan, posted December 8th. European policies which advocate mass joint borrowing among EU member states to further finance Ukraine's resistance to the Russian invasion of the country will have devastating consequences for the continent, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban warned on Friday. During an interview on the Good Morning Hungary program on Kossuth Radio, Orban slammed the futility of the existing EU sanctions on Russian energy. He also said that, quote, not only our children, but also our grandchildren will suffer the consequences, unquote, of the mass joint borrowing scheme proposed by the European Union to continue financing Ukraine's defense. Furthermore, we will also have to pay for the states that become insolvent along the way, he added. The Hungarian leader reaffirmed his country's opposition to Brussels financing the operation of the Ukrainian state through joint borrowing, suggesting instead that agreements with Ukraine should be made at the national level through bilateral agreements between individual countries. That comes from the article, EU's desire to become a debt community to pay for Ukraine will ruin Europe for generations warns Hungarian PM Viktor Orban by Thomas Bruck, posted December 7th, originally published on Remix News. The subtext of this strategic partnership was that the U.S. would pump Ukraine full of weapons so it could fight like hell or, to the last Ukrainian, to reclaim a Russian naval port Ukraine had agreed to lease to Russia for decades. Yes, this was a setup for Ukraine to provoke a war with Russia so that Ukrainian, not U.S. soldiers, would do the fighting and dying on the battlefield to quote, unquote, weaken Russia in the interests of maintaining a unipolar world with the U.S. on top. None of this is to excuse Russia for taking the bait to launch a horrific invasion of Ukraine that has killed or made casualties of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians and Russians, uprooted 8 million Ukrainians from their homes, sent hundreds of thousands of Russians fleeing conscription, and worsened the climate crisis with more greenhouse gas emissions from missile launches. Rocket attacks and explosions have reduced infrastructure railways, electrical grids, apartment buildings, oil depots, to charred rubble, leaving blackened cities blanketed by toxic munitions. The focus on the joint statement on the U.S.-Ukraine strategic partnership and two months later the U.S.-Ukraine Charter of Strategic Partnership, a steroid-enhanced cousin of the former, is not to justify the invasion, but to clarify that the United States and NATO provoked the war from which we all must turn back before we find ourselves engulfed in another world war. That comes from the article, Ukraine, de facto NATO partner. To end the war, peace champions must win the war of ideas. By Marcy Winograd, posted December 7th, originally published on Marcy Winograd's website. Professor Michel Chosodovsky has just released his latest book, The Worldwide Corona Crisis, A Global Coup d'État Against Humanity. We will deal with this book and the ideas running through it in a feature interview. Just a bit of a warning to our listeners. We are well aware that the subjects running through the book may be very disturbing to people who were quite traumatized by the nearly three-year period of this plague. We respect the sensitivities of our listeners and would caution them before listening to much more of this program. We are, however, trying to fulfill our pledge to deal with subjects that are not often discussed in mainstream media. We know, for example, that there are exa- examples in warfare where stupendous lies were told by the media while supporting the war. Think of the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which led to the war in Vietnam. Never happened. Think about the nurse claiming Iraqi soldiers were merciless in taking babies out of incubators and throwing them on the floor. It never happened. Weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, there were none. So why should we believe that the media is naturally being truthful about the events around COVID-19? Was it fundamentally different? Well, we'll take a look in Professor Michel Chosodovsky's account. One of the things we will you will notice in the book is that he carefully documents everything he puts into print. He's not sourcing you know suspicious individuals who could be a dodgy source, you know, a crackpot doctor or, or something like that. He sources official statistics like the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization. Professor Chosodovsky provides a comprehensive analysis of everything you need to know about the pandemic, from the medical dimensions to the economic and social repercussions, political underpinnings, and mental and psychological impacts. He said the following, My objective as an author is to inform people worldwide and refute the official narrative which has been used as a justification to destabilize the economic and social fabric of entire countries, followed by the imposition of the COVID 19 vaccine. This crisis affects humanity in its entirety, 8 billion people. We stand in solidarity with our fellow human beings and our children worldwide. Truth is a powerful instrument. While Michel Chasudolowski himself is not a medical doctor or a practitioner, I will give you a brief background of the author so you can see what he brings to the table of discussion. Michel Chosodovsky is an award-winning author, professor of economics, emeritus at the University of Ottawa, founder and director of the Centre for Research on Globalization in Montreal and editor of Global Research. He has undertaken field research in Latin America, China, India, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, the Pacific, and has written extensively on the economies of developing countries with a focus on poverty and social inequality. He is also undertaking research in health economics, the UN Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean, Government of Venezuela, and the John Hopkins International Journal of Health Services. His research, his recent research focuses on economic and social policy, health economics, geopolitics, and globalization. He has academic research and advisory positions in several universities around the world, including Nicaragua, the Philippines, Thailand, Peru, Hong Kong, Chile, and Venezuela. He has given lectures at more than 100 universities and research institutes. He has received numerous awards, including the Human Rights Prize, Society for Civil Rights and Human Dignity, Best Books in Germany, the Project Censored Award on 10 separate occasions from 1999 to 2015, the Mexican Press Club Award, and the Gold Medal for Merit of the Republic of Serbia for his writings on NATO's war of aggression against Yugoslavia. He has written a number of articles and books, including The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, America's War on Terrorism, and The Globalization of War America's Long War Against Humanity. The Worldwide Corona Crisis Global Coup d'etat Against Humanity was just launched online from his home on Tuesday, December 6th. I spoke with him on December 7th, 2022. So this is Michael Welch for the Global Research News Hour, and I'm speaking now for uh, with the founder and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michelle Chosadovsky. He's recently released his latest book, It's Humanity. Congratulations, available online as a PDF, I believe. Crisis, we all flood Flawed information, and, and like, by, by the usual measures that you can come to that, I suspect a, a segment of the case, being taken to hospitals, the capacity. They even talked about doctors and nurses over what we hear in media are saying that these individual people, it's just a pandemic. Okay, the terms the basics of the conclusions that you came to on, on statistics from of official health
1: trust. Well, precisely. the, I think to say that there's no pandemic has to be explained in relation to the concepts, the scientific and medical concepts, that are used under the auspices of the World Health Organization. The test in question, which people across the land, certainly from coast to coast in Canada, know, it's what is called the reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction, uh, which is summarized as the PCR test. Now, the thing is, uh, this test—I'm not—I'm not suggesting that the virus doesn't exist. I'm just suggesting that all the data which is collected uh, pertaining to the incidence of viral infection, including mortality and morbidity is based on that test which generates fake data. And it's not me who is saying that it's fake data. The World Health Organization has admitted that it is not a reliable test, but they actually admitted it one year later, and the U.S. CDC has made it in, has declared it invalid as of 31 December of last year. So that what transpires is the following: uh, there are certain stages in the evolution of this crisis. Uh, I would say that the key starting point of the crisis is in January, where the so-called novel coronavirus uh, is uh, highlighted. Um, actually, it was in Davos at the World Economic Forum that it was first highlighted, but it was in late January that the Director General of the, of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, on the 30th of the January declared a public health emergency of international concern. Now, uh, this was based, this public health of international concern was based solely on the PCR case. Now, assuming that the PCR case is a valid means of detecting the virus, which it's not, there were only eighty-three cases on that day, five of which were in the United States of America, and I'm talking about eighty-three cases outside China, for a population of six point four billion people. Okay, the large uh, a large proportion of the world population, excluding China. Now that does not constitute a justification for a worldwide emergency. Uh, um, uh, which was declared by the World Health Organization on that particular date. Now, the second phase in in this evolving crisis comes on February 20th uh, of 2020, when the CEO of the World Health Organization, again, Director General, Dr. Tedros, gives a press conference, and he doesn't mention the figures, incidentally. I should mention that. He doesn't mention the figures of the WHO when he makes these statements. What he says is the windows are closing, uh, the pandemic is is real. I, I'm paraphrasing. I can give you the exact quote from his press conference, but what he is intimating on the 20th of February, that uh, unless we take drastic measures, uh, we're in for a pandemic. And uh, what happened on that same day, stock markets collapsed. Uh, It was the largest stock market collapse apparently, according to specialists uh, since 1929. It was not necessarily heralded in the, it didn't make well it made headlines but the the relationship between dr tedros's statement and the financial crash were not actually addressed uh they said oh it's v, the virus that actually triggered the financial crash which is absolute nonsense now what what were the confirmed cases on February 20th, and they're cumulative confirmed cases, okay? 1,000, and if I recall correctly, 1,078 or 76 confirmed positive cases, PCR, outside of China. And in fact, uh, 60% of those 1,000 and something cases were on the Diamond Princess cruise, which was uh, you know which was quarantined in the in the Japanese territorial waters, Okinawa, but in fact and and, and of course they fell sick because they were confined to their rooms. but in, in any event, 1,000 cases, 1,000 odd cases does not justify the statements that were made by, uh, by Tedros on that particular day. It it, it it was absolute uh, res- irresponsibility and misleading but even let's let's assume that the that the PCR test is a valid way of detecting the virus well those figures simply do not confirm neither do they confirm the public health emergency of international concern nor do they confirm the February the uh, the February uh collapse uh, of the, well, I'm sorry, nor do they confirm the figures uh, which were recorded. Uh, it's 1,076, and those are official WHO figures. Now, did, uh, did um, you know, did Tedros actually warn people and say, oh, there are 1,076 cases? No, or well, warn them or, or, or inform them that this is not a threat. Okay. 1,076 cases for a population of 6.4 billion, excluding the diamond princess. There were only four 452 so-called confirmed cases worldwide. Okay. Uh, and then what was what Tedros was actually saying was saying uh, the chance to contain the coronavirus outbreak is closing. I'm quoting him now. The chance to contain the coronavirus outbreak is closing. I believe the window of opportunity is still there, but the window is narrowing. So in other, in other words, these are shock and awe statements, which uh, triggered panic. They contributed to um, to the <laughs> the decline of the stock market. The decline of the stock market was was uh, was engineered. But mm-hmm. again, when I say that there was no pandemic, based on official statistics, there okay. was no pandemic.
0: Well, Professor Chasidovsky, I mean, you know, all of that aside, when people look at their own their their life, uh, like I guess months later, and, and they talk about people, there's so many people being locked up in hospitals and. And, and then yeah, you said, said things about the, the RT-PCR tests. But, you know, as people are seeing their, their friends getting sick and, and going to the hospital and think, well, this is something, I mean, whether we call it a pandemic or something else, I mean, something's taken hold here. Or, or, or what exactly is, is happening?
1: Well, I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, mm-hmm. but... Uh, when you actually declare, and that was on March 11, a lockdown, and you close down the, the, you essentially confine the labor force in their homes, you freeze the workplace, you disrupt civil society, schools, universities, cultural events, sports events, and you impoverish uh, the world, the, you impoverish people worldwide you can expect, and you initiate a fear campaign 24-7, people do fall sick as a result. When they are frightened, they fall sick. And it could be, it could, I'm not, I, I, and and the, the problem is that uh, when this lockdown was declared, this pandemic was declared, There were 44,279 cases worldwide out of China. And it is only after that official declaration of the pandemic that uh, everything went into high gear. uh, And uh, they started collecting more and more and more data of the PCR tests. And inevitably, uh, this generated additional so-called positive cases. And then also you had the science behind this worldwide lockdown. It it was in fact based on a mathematical model by Dr. Neil Ferguson of Imperial College London. And he was predicting 600,000 deaths in the UK. Now that is enough to scare uh, uh, a population. And so that I, I would suspect that uh, the chaos that is occurring in the in uh, in in in, uh, in uh, healthcare uh, is the consequence of this closing down of economic activity. You don't resolve a public health crisis by closing down your economy. But when I say closing down the economy, it's not a, a total closing down, but it's certainly significant because. If the labor force is confined in their homes to a less or greater extent, and then there's a freeze in all activity, economic activities, a freeze in, in the workplace, uh, a freeze uh, in the functioning of schools, universities, hospitals, and so on, inevitably. And then when people are impoverished, when they can't buy their food, and in some countries their famines, inevitably, you're going to have a greater incidence of, of, of morbidity uh, and, uh, and and, uh, and uh, again, people's immune system is affected when you're scared and, and you, you you know, you get really uh, upset. Uh, but I, I can't make any firm statement on that. I've had friends who are also have also had severe illnesses. Um, and uh, there are, of course, if you look at the official definition of um, of SARS two, in other words, the virus which is associated with COVID nineteen, it it does um, it says that on on balance, this is a mild respiratory uh, disease. Uh, you can look at the official definition, but they can be uh, there can be more serious impacts. Affecting a small percentage of the population, uh, they don't. They acknowledge that. So, but what is what has to be underscored is that the, even the official definitions of of uh, of the coronavirus uh, do not. And I'm I can quote Anthony Fauci. Or I can quote the CDC or the WHO. Uh, and and the the situation is, is pretty much I mean the 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 definition is such that that it it is not a, a life-threatening disease by any means.
0: We're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW ninety five point nine FM in Winnipeg, and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Fauci said that uh, on when he was speaking to the audience, he's saying it's, it's it's a dangerous situation. But in peer review, which was published just a couple of days afterward, uh, like later in March. He was saying that this is only uh, it it's only like the, the influenza or something like that. Uh, that's sort of what you mean
1: Well, well I mean, there was his uh, he made a he wrote an article to together co-authored with uh, Robert Redfield of i who was the head of the CDC in the in the New England of Journal of medicine. and uh, and and it says quite categorically. That this is not a dangerous disease, okay? It says it quite categorically, and it's so-called peer-reviewed. In other words, it, it's the uh, it's the peer-reviewed statement of uh, of of Anthony Fauci and his colleagues uh, in the New jo- Journal uh, Journal of of Medicine, uh, New England Journal of Medicine. Excuse me, and uh, and 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 there you are. Uh, and But the official definitions of the WHO are similar to that, okay? Uh, and uh, if I, I quote now what what uh, t- Tony Fauci, uh, Clifford Lane, and Robert Redfield uh, said in the New England Journal of Medicine, quote, the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 may ultimately, sorry, ultimately, be more akin to those of a severe seasonal influenza, which has a case fatality rate of approximately 0.1%, or pandemic influenza, similar to those of 57 and 1968, rather than uh, a disease similar to SARS or MERS, which have high fatality rates. Now, that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. If you look at the at the CDC uh, definition uh, or at the WHO definition, you, you I, I, I will read it to you, and it will say um, the most common symptoms of COVID nineteen are fever, dry cough, and tiredness. These symptoms are usually mild and begin gradually. Some people become infected. But only have very mild symptoms. Most people, about 80% recover from the disease without needing hospital treatment. Around one out of every five people who gets COVID becomes seriously ill and develops difficult breathing. Now, that definition does not justify the drastic measures which were taken. Uh, admittedly, if we accept this, this definition, well, it's an official definition, a public health emergency does not uh, does not justify closing down the global economy in any way. In, in 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 fact the the directive was to close down the global economy now how it was applied in different countries different matter but you don't resolve a public health crisis uh, based on closing down economic activity which leads to poverty and unemployment and bankruptcies. But even if you have this particular definition of a, of a, let's say of, a, of an epidemic, it doesn't compare to other uh, threatening diseases. And the question is, can you justify uh, that uh, uh, decision? Uh, it was a WHO decision, but it really emanated from the financial establishment. Can you justify it? The answer is no, you can't. I can't, certainly. And and if it hadn't, and I I should say that what we had uh, in in terms of lockdown and confinement was coupled with the face mask. Okay, it was coupled with the closing down of all social activities that you might uh, uh, you know which are regular meetings between people. It was closed down in the sense that uh, that schools and universities were operating online, and and and, and in other words. No meetings of people and so on and so forth, and there was simply no evidence based on the PCR test cumulative cases forty four thousand two hundred seventy nine on March eleven to have to have initiated that kind of of response. Okay, that is absolutely clear. We can't. Uh, we we can we can. I think we we have to acknowledge people who get sick. Okay. but the pcr test doesn't it's not a it's not it's not um uh, it, it's it's not what the doctor actually the doctor look examines the patient says oh he's sick but the pcr test is not what determines whether a person is sick or not you have okay. it's the diagnosis of the of the of the medical doctor well
0: dr chestodovsky i think that uh, i mean there was a whole I, I, I just remember a, a question that was put to you during the pr- book reveal about like who was, uh, who was putting this uh, in play. And, and it seems like we were so, everybody essentially was so obedient to the medical establishment and they, they in a way that they wouldn't be obedient to ordinary politicians or, or business communities. I mean, this idea that medical practitioners are demanding that uh, we put on a mask, that we get a vaccine, that we uh, lock down, and so forth, that, I mean, people are much more vulnerable from the influence of, of those individuals than, you know, from, than the, I guess you might say, you know, and maybe maybe a, a kind of, a, you're, you're run-of-the-mill fascist, if I could put it that way. Um, I, I don't know, could you just talk briefly about how they had that kind, how the doctors who are you know they claim to be scientific and they claim to have all of these uh, this knowledge and know-how that and yet they seem to be uniform they seemed to be uniform in their demand that we've got to take all of the, you know, the vaccine and and, and and agree with these rules that, that are locking us down even though it's having an impact uh, on on the economy and, and other concerns
1: well you know the, the directive uh, came, uh, from uh, theoretically from the WHO, I'm talking about the lockdown, but in fact it was dictated by very powerful financial interests, and then it was transmitted to to the governments, but the the, the government agencies which which received these instructions and which no no doubt are in in, uh, in liaison with uh, with the head of state or head of government and the cabinet and so on. These are the health the, the the health officials at the level of each country, and they are requested to obey orders. Now, uh, that acceptance uh, is something we have to address. Why is it that medical doctors and scientists uh, are um, in fact forcing people to, uh, to, to take, well, they're forcing people to obey the lockdown, but bear in mind, you you made a reference to the vaccine that came uh 9 months later in the month of november of of 2020 uh but when the when the vaccine was launched in uh, mid december of 2020 immediately within the first couple of months we had a rising trend in mortality and morbidity that's where the, the you know the sick people you know that's where the real a uh, health crisis commenced. Uh, the real public health crisis commenced, and it was fairly well established uh, in in this particular in this regard that that vaccine, to put it bluntly, is a killer vaccine, uh, and that is confirmed by numerous. It's confirmed by official statistics in a number of countries. In Canada, we don't publish them, but it is also confirmed. By a confidential report of Pfizer, who's the main actor in the in the vaccine business, uh, which was confidential, it's an internal report, and which uh, has tabulated mortality and morbidity of their own samples. Um, they collected from from uh, well from uh, uh, various sources, uh, and they have a, they have. They have corroborated in their report the mortality and morbidity and the and the various causes underlying that myocarditis, cancer, etc., etc., etc. They've categorized it, and anybody who looks at that report will say that's Pfizer, mea culpa. Uh, and if they didn't actually put a a, a term to what they had on file in date of the 28th of February, 2020, it is no longer manslaughter, it is murder. Because they knew from their own study, which they wanted to remain, they wanted to stay classified a, a little bit like a, an intelligence document, or they wanted to it to remain classified. It was declassified it, under freedom of information, Anybody could go and see it. And yes, that uh, that second period, which was supposed to be the solution to a non, well, it was supposed to be a solution to uh, combating the, the so-called pandemic. And in fact, what emerged is that uh, there was an upward trend in mortality and morbidity, and it's ongoing. And then there were several doses. That is what created problems in the hospitals more than anything else. That is what created uh, uh, various, uh, you know, various uh, uh, illnesses which were uh, associated to to the vaccine.
0: I noticed that. Uh, there I think in spite of all of these things that developed and, and it seemed quite offensive uh, you know or, or impressive uh, a couple of years ago I think that now that, that they're no longer trying to get people vaccinated the way they did before i mean if if, you, if they want to travel or go to public events or anything uh, digital IDs don't seem to be necessary anymore um, is, is this whole situation playing out the way the planners, intended because I mean you say you're know, back in the in in night 2019 you had Claydex uh an event and and uh, an and event 201 basically planning out as if you know th- a major event happened and then <laughs> maybe it's a coincidence but a, a major event did actually end up happening but you know I, I guess I'm trying to do is is this situation continuing the way um, the way they planned or uh, are, are they adjusting to new situations? I mean, cause I, I just wanna know, is, is this going to continue? Are they gonna continue to impose measures in the not too distant future? Like, you know, Tell us about how you think this situation has deviated from the way that the planners intended it.
1: Well, there have been certain changes. Uh, international travel has been normalized, uh, but uh, on the other hand, the the debate on the on the vaccine passport is still is still on the books. Uh, and uh, there is a pandemic treaty. Uh, I don't think that they have abandoned the, the vaccination program. And, and in fact we see that that the uh, pharmaceutical com- companies are coming up with a new um package of of vaccinations where you combine uh, SARS too, with various other ailments, uh, and uh, and um, the WHO has has is pushing this agenda of a pandemic treaty, which would also Im- imply uh, a vaccine passport, in other words, uh, ID uh, digitized uh, tyranny, so to speak. Uh, these have been announced at, at a much earlier date. It was under uh, under um, the what was it called, Uh, well, it was the ID2020 initiative uh, which was uh, at stake, uh, which was uh, put forth uh, many years ago. And uh, I I can't, at this stage, it's unclear how this crisis is unfolding, but I think what is absolutely crucial in this is that the vaccine has uh, an impact. It definitely has an impact on mortality, Um, uh, excess mortality is being is being tabulated and it also uh, is one could say that it could result in depopulation because it's applied at world levels. Uh, We're talking about maybe something of the order of uh, five to six billion people worldwide have already been vaccinated. So this is a of course, very significant. But what I I view the the vaccine and the lockdown as the two essential pillars, uh, which are in effect, which constitute, from my standpoint, uh, a coup d'état against humanity. Uh, the vaccine is is easier to assess, but in as much as it results in mortality, we can't. We we must uh, acknowledge. That this is no longer manslaughter. This is not something which can be dismissed. And we're not. I don't think we should be looking at, uh, you know, constitutional rights. Of course, constitutional rights to refuse the vaccine should be retained. But what is much more significant is if this, uh, if this vaccine is proven to be a poisonous substance, it has to be withdrawn by the health authorities in the respective countries. We can't do anything otherwise because we have the proof and we have the data from Pfizer. Uh, it's it, it's internal data. It's not some independent report that this is a killer virus. In other words, my message is we have to withdraw. In Canada, we have to withdraw that, uh, that vaccine immediately. Well, because you- it is...
0: See that uh, that that kind of popular movement manifesting itself in any way, because it, it seems like this is very different from anything else we've ever seen. I mean, I've, I've even noticed that you take something like the Freedom Convoy of of truckers, but that was, you know, that was not uh, a product of the left. I mean, the left by and large uh, criticized the the Freedom Convoy and and all major organizations and made it seem like it was racist and a uh, uh, white supremacist and you know, the hate mongers and so on and so forth. So, I, I mean, I'm wondering how how can we in, in a knowing way resist this sort of thing without having our our, our, our actions smeared as a, a revolution along different lines?
1: Well, this is not an issue of party politics or the re- left or the right. It's people at the grassroots who understand that, the, that government policy uh, is has taken on a stance which goes against uh, the rights of of uh, citizens, which which is lying to us quite you know and categorically lying to us and which is imposing an agenda uh, which is destroying the, the fabric of of our society. Now bear in mind uh, let's look at the, the economic and social consequences, of this of this of three years of mismanagement. Uh the debt has gone up fly high. I'm talking about the public debt. Can all countries on the planet are under the control of, of creditors, financial institutions in the in the you know in developing countries, it's IMF and the World Bank. And the the governments of sovereign countries are acting in an absolutely corrupt Corrupt fashion, they are they're serving the interests of the uh, of the creditors. The expenditures, uh, you know, if you look at at the context in Canada, federal versus provincial expenditures, the the largest expenditures are <laughs> in, in uh, PCR tests. Um, you know, uh, support to big pharma digital IDs, and so on and so forth, and uh, and a uh, collapse in all the activities which we might describe as part of the welfare state. Now, building up, and there's a fiscal crisis. There's a fiscal crisis. Of, it's the most fis- serious fiscal crisis in our history. Uh, and it's the most serious debt crisis at a world level uh, in our history. And what is going to happen uh, is the stranglehold of of, uh, of uh, creditors' dollar-denominated debt, and that, in a sense, is the is is also part of of the triangle. In other words, the lockdown, the the vaccine, and uh, the demise of the welfare state, the privatization of social services, the bankruptcies of small and medium-sized enterprises, and also the fact that this is, in a sense, targeting the real economy. It's the financial establishment, which ultimately wants to take over large sections of the real economy, which is creating those bankruptcies. Uh, Family farms, but it's also large corporations. The airlines are bankrupt. And uh, there's a logic behind that. There's an economic and social logic. And uh, I think that that, those realities have to be understood. If we're going to to engage in meaningful uh, opposition to these projects, we have to understand the dynamics behind it. And it's not simply a, a question of saying to the Prime Minister of Canada, Please, could you help us with this, that, and other?" They have ways that we have to question the legitimacy of this project and the actors behind it, because ultimately, uh, it's a criminal undertaking. Specifically, if you discover that the, that the vaccine uh, triggers mortality and morbidity, uh, the, uh, the governments have a responsibility to cancel that vaccine immediately.
0: Okay. Well, Michelle Chosodovsky, I think uh, we're at the end of our time now, but I want to thank you for this uh, conversation. It's been uh, uh, good to talk to you again. Uh, The worldwide Corona crisis, global coup d'etat against humanity. Michelle Chosodovsky, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So the book, The Worldwide Corona Crisis, Global Coup d'Etat Against Humanity, is available on the website globalresearch.ca. You can download it for free. There are 172 pages on the PDF. Uh, It's divided into 15 chapters. Not terribly difficult to follow uh, his arguments. I'll highlight some of the chapters that he didn't have much of a chance to bring up in the interview. So for one thing. He put a lot of steady research into studying this pandemic as it happened. And and this was not the first time he studied a, a dangerous disease outbreak. He was also available during the swine flu outbreak in 2009-2010, if, if you remember it. Uh, he wanted, at that time, uh, he noted that uh, WHO Director Margaret Chan was recommending to prepare for a pandemic, Neil Ferguson, who he mentioned earlier, advised that 30 to 40 percent of the population could be ill with the swine flu, and consequently, uh, the WHO authorized millions of vaccine doses. So that swine flu scare may have been a dress rehearsal for the current COVID pandemic. He mentions that the very rich got even richer during the crisis, uh, quoting an Oxfam report, quote, billionaires gathered in Davos have enjoyed an obscene surge in their fortunes over the last two years. The pandemic and now the steep rise in food and energy prices have been a bonanza for the wealthiest, while millions of people face hunger and poverty as the cost, living shoot, cost of living shoots up, unquote. So, clearly, COVID has not been a crisis for everyone equally. Uh, There's a chapter on how the science has been corrupted against uh, cheap and effective drugs. Hydroxychloroquine was smeared using uh, media statements and an alleged peer-reviewed Lancet magazine article. But... The article was based on data analysis of over 96,000 hospitalized patients in 671 hospitals around the world. Lancet had to restrict retract the article as the clinical trials in question were supplied by the firm Surgisphere and, and they never actually existed. Now, Toward the end of the book uh, is one of the more interesting chapters, in my opinion, having to do with how COVID opponents, the COVID protesters themselves, are being framed in scientific terms as anti-social psychopaths. This is part of an effort to divide the vaccinated from the unvaccinated and part of a strategy to undermine the protest movement. Malevolent personality disorders and collective narcissism have been identified as the traits of of individuals who questioned the COVID narrative. Chosodovsky describes this as um, unquestionably uh, an in- inquisitional process. He argues that the a digital witch hunt can be used to brand the skeptics, but subject them to censorship and, and possibly even treatment in psychiatric wards. Remember, we aren't talking about people trying to stop their friends from you know, you know, physically from complying, but people who simply resist the vaccine for whatever reason. Uh, The professor uh, argues that this debate over vaccines is not the end. Over the course of several years, we'll be allowing ourselves to be digitized. Uh, Through the Great Reset, we are surrendering more and more of our freedoms in the wake of keeping healthy, uh, saving the planet and securing the supremacy of the world's elites. And in this latest chapter or later chapter, he talks about depopulation uh, as a strategic aim of the overseers. the The two pillars of this process have been the lockdowns and the vaccine program. A famous speech by Bill Gates uh, for TED Talks, saying that a successful campaign of vaccination will reduce the population by ten to fifteen percent. Well, I, I dug up the video and and I saw him say that. But in terms of what possible does them, I guess there's a statement by Henry Kissinger in 1974, quote, depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world because the U.S. economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from less developed areas, unquote. So, uh, yeah, in the final chapter, Professor Chostakovsky sees the need to not only argue with our political leaders, but to actually question their legitimacy. To be effective, we must do this as part of a mass movement. The authorities in question that we must deal with are big money, big pharma, the information technology conglomerates, the security apparatus, intelligence, the military-industrial complex, big energy, and the corporate media. He sees that he says that large-scale street protests will not prevail unless they are focused on effectively disabling this corrupt decision-making process. There will be the need to break down the consensus of propaganda and to disrupt the fear campaign. The word must spread nationally and internationally, though a broad grassroots network or through a grass, broad grassroots network. At all levels of society, in towns and villages, workplaces, parishes, trade unions, farmers' organizations, professional associations, business associations, student unions, and, and veterans' associations, and church groups. So there you go. A, a good read. Uh, it's it's available for free via the website. Uh, so <laughs> easily, it's worth the money. <laughs> Uh, go to globalresearch.ca and scroll down the left column until you see Global Research ebooks and then click the arrows uh, on either side until you come to the worldwide corona crisis and click again. Then you can see a link that allows you to click uh, on a free download. Okay, so we are at the end of the program. Next week, sad news for some. The visionary thinker and uh, theologian, Uh, One of the leaders of the 9-11 Truth Movement, David Ray Griffin, has sadly passed away. We'll be bringing uh, in a lot of different voices, uh, talking about his importance within the movement. We hope you'll join us for that special episode. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Centre for Research on Globalisation and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Creek, Diné and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca